We live in a world that says to us, you are what you accomplish. That says that uh, your dignity is based upon what others say about you. A world that says that you're supposed to live your life for self. And when we gather for worship, God is saying to us that your identity is not in what you accomplish. Your identity is not in the dignity that others give to you. Your identity is not in yourself, but your identity is in my son, in Jesus. And in Jesus, God says everything has been accomplished. Jesus is the creator of life who gives dignity to all those who bear his image in his world. And Jesus says to us, your life is not about yourself. You're to love God and love your neighbors and give yourself to others. Hear God call us to worship this morning. This is from the book of Galatians. Beloved, we have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that we live now live in the flesh, we live by faith in the Son of God, who loved us and who gave himself fully to us. This morning, uh, we're going to continue on in our series this summer uh, through the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to take a look at Matthew chapter 5 and uh, keep going, and we're going to look at verses 27 through 30 uh, this morning. But as you're turning there, it's also uh, should be on the screen behind you and in your bulletin. Um, remember that, that, that what we're doing this year together is we're thinking about life with Jesus together. Uh, in the summer, we're taking a break from the Gospel of John, and we're going to do that. We, we have been doing that uh, through the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is preaching to us. He is pastoring us to understand that the only sure, stable, and steady foundation that we can have is Jesus himself. That's our backdrop for the Sermon on the Mount. And this week, we are going to look at what might be a familiar passage to, uh, to many of us. Um, and I'm going to be honest with you, uh, in seminary, this is one of those passages that you're kind of like, I, I really hope I don't get that text. Um, so I, I'm just laying it out there for you. I, I'm, I'm nervous about this. Um, this is a, that Jesus is very direct in our passage today. And what he is talking to us about and speaking very directly to us about is intimacy. And particularly sexual intimacy. Um, and how God has designed that that intimacy be experienced. So this is kind of the heads up, all right? Um, our passage is deep. Uh, it is rich. Jesus is very direct. Uh, and he will really make us consider our own context as we read this passage together this morning. And here's what I want us to name about what we are bringing into this text. We live in a sexually broken world. We just do. We live in a sexually broken world. And my hope for us this morning is that we'll take some time to spell some of that out. But let's get to Jesus' words. Let's get to what Jesus has to say about this from Matthew chapter 5, 
verses 27 through 30. And these are your Savior's words to you. Words of life and hope and a steady and sure foundation in him. Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body Go into hell. Let's pray together uh, and ask God to help us understand his word this morning. Uh, Father, uh, we thank you that you love us so much, that you have not left us to ourselves, but you have given us your word. And your word shows us and teaches us everything that we need to know about life in the world that you have made. We pray that you would be with us this morning as we look at your word and as we look at some very direct things that your son, Jesus, our Savior, is telling us about intimacy and particularly about sexual intimacy. Would you help us to have thoughtful hearts, tender hearts, ears that hear truth in love that Jesus is going to give to us this morning? Holy Spirit, we pray that you would make Jesus more and more beautiful to us. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. We live in a sexually broken culture. We are sexually broken. Whether you're here, you're married, you're single, you're young, or you're old, all of us are broken in this area. I say those words and immediately we feel truth uh, in that statement. And what I want to do this morning is I want to start by trying to carve out for us the widest possible space for us to understand Jesus' words to us in our background, in our context as we come to this text. And before we get there, I, I want to acknowledge um, something. Uh, even though this is not the direction that we will head today as we look at this passage, uh, I know that this passage and this conversation about sexual intimacy can carry with it uh, much pain for some of us. Uh, pain due to how people have misused uh, sex with us, even sexual abuse. And that's not the direction that we're going to go in the passage this morning, but, but, but for those of you that, that have experienced that and have loved ones who have experienced that, here's what I want you to know. Jesus never mistreats you. And Jesus weeps with you. And he grieves with you. And he is there with you to love you and care for you in the purest possible way. Let's take some time and create ourselves some space here to hear what Jesus is saying to us this morning. Um, our culture tells us that sex is just a casual exchange. 
In 2016, the the Barna Group, uh, a well-known research group, did a survey of men ages 13 to 65, and then they they published those results on a a wide array of questions that were asked to these men regarding um, sex and sexually explicit content. And here's some of the results of that survey done in 2016. Uh, 70% of men engage in sexually explicit content on a weekly basis. Uh, Roughly 60% of men don't think that viewing pornographic material is morally wrong. As the age drops down from 65, that number of 60% just goes up. And as a matter of fact, of the teens that were surveyed in this research project, there was a higher percentage of teens that think that not recycling is more morally wrong than looking at pornography. That's not to not recycling. I'm not not doing that. But it just gives you an idea of the grip that this has in the world that we live in. The Barna Research's group evaluation of this project is that we are living in an age of personal morality based on personal experience. That people think there is no objective right or wrong when it comes to sex and sexuality. And the church isn't immune to this either. In no way is the church immune to this. As a matter of fact, a number of the people that were in this research study were people who were in the life of the church, and a number of them were even pastors. The church is not immune to this at all. And for many of us who are in here this morning, sex carries some deep wounds from what we have experienced in the church. Women, many of you in here have been told that whether or not your brother lusts is your fault. That's a narrative that you have heard. Men, many of us in here have been told that it's okay and appropriate to blame women for our struggles with lust. For most of us, sexual purity has been turned into almost a way of salvation within itself. When what's true is that none of us has ever been pure. We are all sinful and broken deep down to our core. And Jesus tells all of us here that we are never allowed to blame our sin on someone else. We are not allowed to do that. We are called to own up to our own sin and to bring it to Jesus. And we need to realize that there have been years of damage done through this kind of distortion within the church. Jesus knows that we are sexually broken, and he pastors us in that this morning. He knows that the way that we have dealt with sex has left us dealing with significant negative ramifications, and he cares Everyone in here is affected by sexual brokenness, and that's why Jesus says the things that he does here. And he shows us, he's really showing us a fully orbed view of sex the way that God looks at it, and he does that by uncovering different layers for us. So we're going to look at those different layers. We're going to look at things at the eye level, things at the panorama, 
And then we're also going to look at the 360 degree view that Jesus gives to us. So let's start with eye level. Jesus starts by looking at the thing that is right in front of us. Look back at verse 27. Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Jesus is actually quoting the seventh commandment that God gave to Moses in Exodus chapter 20 here. And God gives Moses and his people this command to show us how he views sex and marriage. It is God's intention that one man marry one woman and they stay committed to each other for their whole lives together in every conceivable way. Physically, emotionally, every conceivable way. Jesus points out here that that means that husbands and wives are to be sexually committed to one another, to only your spouse and only in the context of that marriage relationship. Jesus is, is getting right at eye level here. Now, this command was actually uh, very countercultural in Moses' day and also in Jesus' day as he is speaking right here to a group of people. It's countercultural because there's actually a significant protective measure built into this command. There's a protective measure for women built into this command. You see, women's rights in the ancient Near East were totally wrapped up with their husbands. And husbands had ultimate control of that relationship. In this immediate context of Jesus is speaking to scribes and Pharisees and people, the religious class made sure that husbands were able to wield that control however they so desired. Here's an example of that. Scribes and Pharisees had even added to God's word the reasons that a husband could seek a divorce from his wife all the way down to something as trivial as not liking her cooking. So, Jesus is actually reiterating something that has been true from the very beginning. Husbands, you are accountable to your wives and how you treat them. That has always been true. Jesus genuinely cares for the well-being of the marginalized. And in the ancient Near Eastern culture in marriage relationships, the wife was certainly the most susceptible to being marginalized. God has always cared to protect that. Jesus is giving it to us at eye level. He is stating the obvious. Scribes and Pharisees, you don't get to water down God's commands and create space for women to be marginalized. Husbands, you don't get to toss your wife aside for any reason you choose and go after someone else. That's adultery. He's saying adultery is wrong. God has always considered it wrong. He still considers it wrong. And will always consider it wrong. That will not change, no matter what cultural tide we may or may not be living in. And every one of us here, every one of us has been affected by the damage that has been done to 
marriages and families through adultery. For some, that's been very personal. That's carried with it a very, very personal experience. And for all of us, we've all at least watched family members and close friends and loved ones walk through the pain of such tragedy. And we need to hear Jesus' concern for those who are marginalized, for those who are victims of adultery. And we hear the echo that Jesus gives in the seventh commandment, and it resonates deep down with us. That this always brings brokenness. It always brings destruction. And for those of us in here who maybe we are just, you know, we're a part of that 70% that the Barna group talked about. And we just kind of think about sex as a commodity to be consumed. Jesus' words hit us right in the heart here. He says, no, nah, it is much deeper than just an act. It is a connection and an intimacy that carries all of who we are with it. No one comes out unscathed when sex is misused. Jesus names the obvious for us here. And then Jesus takes us from eye level and he gives us a a panoramic view. Okay, let's come up for some air. All right, I know. This is, the, 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 this is, this is intense stuff. So uh, let's come up for some air. Panorama. How many of you have a smartphone? Let's see those hands. Come on, you got it. Yeah. So on your, uh, on your camera feature on your smartphones, at least on mine, there's a whole lot of different ways that you can take a picture. Um, and one of the ways that I love taking pictures is in the panorama mode. And my wife and children make fun of me to no end about this. They make fun of me when they're just snapping pictures and I'm sitting there and I've got my iPhone and you know you got to do the whole... Nope, too fast. Slow it down. Wait, wait. It's too high. No, no, no. It's too, it's too low. Look. And all right. Okay. All right. I love those pictures. I love them. I love them. Well, Jesus is giving us the 180 degree view here as well too. He is, he is not just going at eye level, he's opening up the panorama for us. The next word in our passage in verse 28 is but, which would normally mean that we can dismiss what has come before it. But not so here. You see, Jesus is widening the view of adultery here in verse 28. Let's look at it together. But I, Jesus, say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus says, the issue isn't just the act of adultery itself. It's a heart that is bent on lust. Sin is always and ultimately an issue of the heart. Though Jesus specifically states men here in this passage, this statement applies across the board to everyone. And there is great nuance in in the words that he couples together here of lustful intent. Here's one nuance of that statement. 
One thing that Jesus is saying is that if you look at another person and you set your gaze upon them and begin to entertain thoughts about them sexually, then you have committed adultery in your heart. That's one layer there. A second nuance that Jesus gets at here is that if you look at someone with the intent of trying to seduce them by your looks, then you have committed adultery in your heart. So it's not just the look that undresses other people. It's also the look that invites someone to undress you with their eyes. And Jesus points out to us here that all sin affects others. Even sin that is our thought, that never comes out of our mouths, that is never our actions, sins through our eyes, all of our sin affects others. There is no such thing as victimless sin. It does not exist. Here's how this works in our given content we have here today. Men, when you look at a woman who is not your wife with sexual desire and intent, it doesn't just affect you. It affects your wife because you are violating and breaking vows that you have made to have those eyes only for her. It's also sinning against the woman that you have lustful eyes for because she bears God's image in his world and you are only looking at her for your own sexual satisfaction. And in your mind, you are willingly taking advantage of someone that you have not made vows to and that person has not made vows to you either. Here's another layer. You've also sinned against her husband or her future husband by coveting something that is not yours. And ultimately, here's the biggest deal. We sin against God who created sex, who created intimacy for our good, for our enjoyment, who is the one who designed that it be enjoyed in the context of marriage between one man and one woman, undergirded by God's commitment to those people and that relationship. Our lust-filled thoughts, hearts, and actions take sexual intimacy outside of the context in which God intended it to be experienced. It cheapens God's good gift of sexual intimacy, and it turns it into a commodity that is just to be consumed. And so Jesus says, all right, if lust is an issue, then look at verses 29 and 30. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out. Throw it away. Put it in the trash. For it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Jesus isn't interested in us messing around with sin. Now, I don't think that he is literally telling us to cut off our hand and tear out our eye here. 
Jesus is using language to catch our attention. He's saying, if something tempts you toward lust, don't look at it. Don't touch it. Get away from it. It will only bring destruction. He's driving home the point that it would be better to tear and to cut out sin than to lose all of ourselves to our sin and thrust our whole bodies into hell. Jesus cares enough about us to be honest with us, to give it to us right between the eyes. And the word that he uses here for hell is the word Gehenna. And Gehenna was an actual place. Gehenna was basically the landfill outside of Jerusalem. Okay? And that is the place where people would take their trash to rot and decay. So Jesus is saying that a lustful heart will always and only bring rot, decay, and destruction to yourself and to those around you because your sin always affects others. Jesus is not interested in seeing us throw ourselves into rot and decay. He cares too much about us to let us just do that. The Barna Group survey leads us to believe that the church and the broader culture, uh, that in the church and the broader culture, there is a laissez-faire attitude towards sexual ethics. That sex is not that big of a deal. And if you're here this morning and you're, and you're thinking that, like you're really thinking that, you're hearing what I'm saying, I'm like, I don't, I don't buy it. Man, I, let me just tell you, 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 are, you are headed for destruction. You are. You are, and Jesus cares enough about you to tell you that. He does. And for those of us in here who have experienced sexual brokenness, we know better. We know that sex is not laissez-faire. We know that it is not trivial. It is never trivial. Whether it was a high school boyfriend or girlfriend, or whether it's our spouse who's addicted to pornography, Jesus' words of rot and decay, they really resonate with us deep down. And Jesus cares enough about us to tell us straight up, That a laissez-faire attitude towards sex, it will not do. It will not do. The narrative of personal morality based on personal experience isn't enough when we've caught our husbands or wives looking at pornography. It isn't enough when we've been cheated on. It isn't enough when we found out the real reason that our parents got divorced. It isn't enough when we felt the shame of being looked at as just an object of one's sexual desires. We have to have a God-sized view of sex. A robust, biblical view of sexual intimacy where our bodies and our commitments are one and the same. Where sex is experienced in its fullness, not just as a fleeting desire to be squelched by giving in to fleeting pleasure, whether that's with our bodies or with our minds. 
but as an act that says, I am yours and yours only. And you are mine and mine only. God has a higher view of and deeper understanding of sexual intimacy than any of us. And Jesus wants us to see intimacy the way that God does. And there is something good for us to take away here. Because when this is experienced in the way that God has intended for it to be experienced, it is unspeakable beauty to to know that connection and to know that the person that you are giving yourself to only has eyes for you. And to know that what's bigger than even any of that is God's commitment to your relationship, God's undergirding and his commitment to you in Jesus. There is something unspeakably beautiful about the way that God has intended for sexual intimacy to be experienced in marriage. But you know what else in our passage Jesus even goes deeper than the Bible's view of sexual intimacy. You see, this passage is about sexual intimacy. It is about God's view of sex and marriage, but it's also bigger than that too. You see, it's about our relationship to Jesus. And so God is showing us here that whether in brokenness or in the way that God has designed sexual intimacy to be experienced, it's really just pointing us beyond the eye level and beyond the panorama to see the 360-degree view of everything. Because this passage is full of hope. Not in sexual intimacy, but in Jesus. Remember, In verses 29 and 30, Jesus says that we need to tear out and cut off sin to save the whole body. Do you see what Jesus is doing here? In order for us to receive forgiveness and healing from our sexual brokenness, or any brokenness for that matter, the sin has to be cut off and torn out to save the whole. Jesus says these words... Knowing that he is the one who is going to be cut off and torn out. That we would receive forgiveness from our sexual brokenness. And that we would receive healing from what has been done to us. Jesus' body was broken and torn for us, beloved. Jesus became the one who was sent into hell to save the whole body of his bride. The church, none of us is righteous when it comes to sexual ethics. No one, none of what humanity has to offer is righteous enough. Only Jesus is. And he offers himself in our place that you and I might receive forgiveness no matter what our sexual sin. And that we might receive words of healing. No matter what has been done to you. To put it directly, if you're here and you have committed adultery, whether with your body or your heart or your mind, which all of us are at least guilty of those last two, 
Jesus, who knew no adultery, became adultery for you and gave you his righteousness. And I know that having our sin put right in front of our face, it knocks us all down. But know that Jesus knocks us down with the truth that we might look up and see the face of grace. That we might see Jesus and our utter need for him. There is forgiveness in him. And for those struggling with fighting sexual sin, bring it to Jesus. And Jesus looks at us, he says, you're not alone in this. I'm with you. And every time you're knocked down by the truth and the shame of your sin, look up and see me. Look up and see forgiveness. Look up and see that it is paid in full. Look up and see the grace to save and the grace to give you the power to fight because you are mine and I have fully fought and won victory over sin and death, including your sexual sin. And here's what's also beautiful about what Jesus does because he doesn't just save us as individuals. He calls us into a community with one another. And so if you're here this morning and you are struggling with sexual sin, and you have not shared that, you need to find a brother or sister in Christ and share that. Someone who is safe, who you know will meet you with the gospel, who you know will love you enough to look at you and say, you're going to destroy yourself. Just in the same way that Jesus does that for us here. He has given us a community to fight and struggle together in this as we all point each other collectively time and time and over and over again to Jesus and how beautiful and wonderful he is. And for all of us who have been on the receiving end of adultery in action or mind or heart, we need to hear That Jesus became sexually broken for us too. Jesus never looks at us with lustful eyes. Jesus never uses us for his own satisfaction. Never. Jesus never abuses. Jesus always and only gives himself fully to you and me. And combines that with a commitment that would compel him to lay down his life for us. That we would know healing from our brokenness. And we would know that there is a world coming in which Jesus will rip all of it out and we will dwell with him and together forever. Beloved, no matter where we are today, no matter where you are this morning, guilty, struggling, marginalized, victim, broken. Look up. See the face of grace. See Jesus, your Savior, your spouse, your helper, and your friend. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us Jesus. And in him and through his death on the cross, it is paid in full. Our sins are forgiven. And Jesus is with us in our brokenness. And he promises us that that brokenness will be redeemed.
we pray that you would help us as we walk away from here. If we're here this morning and, and we are struggling with this lustful intent, give us boldness to share that with somebody who can help us fight it. And more than that, help us know, Jesus, that you are with us. And for those that are here that are broken and hurt, I pray that we would know that you never take advantage of us. That you are always and only fully and wholeheartedly committed to your bride. Help us to have hope in that. Holy Spirit, give us the strength to believe. We do believe. Help our unbelief. Holy Spirit, help us to be honest and direct with ourselves that we might see how wonderful and beautiful our Savior Jesus is. And we pray these things in his name. Amen.